Okay, today, if you're turning with me, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 22. Now, this is weird just how this kind of worked out. Um, last week, I preached about freedom, right? But the week before that, if you were here, I talked about how we're better together. And so, if you didn't get to hear that, I know a lot of people were out that Sunday. I think that was the camp. I think we were in the middle of youth camp that Sunday. We're better together. So, now that message is up. If you didn't get to hear that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because what I'm about to preach today is almost like a part two for that one. But for those of you that weren't here that day or didn't get to hear it yet, then today will be the part one. And then there's already a part two on the podcast. So, you can go listen to the part two. So, it, would, it will connect either way. All right. So, two weeks ago was that one. But we're better together. So I want to start talking and just thinking about that idea again, kind of like what was brought up. But um, I'm going to start out by talking to you about some caves. We're going to talk about caves. Anybody have a man cave? <laughs> Place you escape to, go away to? Zach lives in a man cave for now. <laughs> He's renting it, but... As soon as he gets married, it'll no longer be a man cave, I guess. <laughs> Pretty soon. But some people have what they call a man cave or a place they run away to to hide or, or get away. There's all different kinds of caves. Um, some of the definitions for cave, there's a lot of different definitions. If you go look them up on Webster's or all the different sites and... Uh, the uh, Urban Dictionary has some interesting ones, but <laughs> there's a lot of different definitions for caves, and I thought some of them were really interesting. Um, some of the definitions are a hollow place in the earth. And I was thinking about that as I'm thinking about caves and the caves I have in my life and caves I have in my mind and places I go to hide when I'm scared and in caves. It's a hollow place, an empty place in the earth. You know, if you get too hollow or too empty, it'll cave, cave in on you. Another definition was a place providing privacy or seclusion from others. To separate yourself or to isolate yourself, to be in a cave Cut yourself off from everybody to, to be in a cave. You know you can be in a mental cave. You can be sitting right here in a room physically surrounded by people, but you can be in a cave. You can be cut off and isolated in your mind. It's okay. Even good and healthy people need to get away sometimes it's okay to withdraw to go to a quiet place but it's not okay to stay there Jesus gave us examples sometimes he would have to back off he'd have to go away from his disciples from his crowd he would get away but when he came back he always had compassion he healed their sick he, he came back in a good place, you look at the fruit. 
When Jesus came out of his cave, he was more powerful because he had spent time with God and he did what he should do in the cave. For some of us, we go spend time in our cave and when we do come out, we're worse off than when we went in. We come out of the cave more depressed than we were when we went in or we come out of the cave more addicted than we were when we went in or we come out of the cave more... Why? Because we're doing the wrong thing in the cave. The cave's not bad. To go to the cave, to be alone, to withdraw, to spend that time, that's, it just depends on what you're doing in the cave. So what are you doing in your cave? Jesus came out of the quiet place with compassion. Remember, we've talked about that before. Compassion is just sympathy plus action. It's like you see someone and feel bad for them, that's sympathy. But when you put some action with it, you not only feel bad for them, but you find a way that you can help that situation. That's compassion. Sympathy with action. Jesus was moved to action. There were three frogs sitting on a log, and all three of them decided to jump in the water. How many frogs were sitting on the log? All three of them. They decided to jump in the water, but they, they're still sitting on the log. It takes action. You, you have to actually do it, right? And we can all decide, and, or, or the way Pastor Bruce would say it is, it's declarations, fine. It's great to declare a thing. This is what I'm going to do. But then if you never do it, what's the point? You have to take some action. I feel like cavemen get a bad rap. People always make fun of cavemen. You heard all the caveman jokes? Remember all those commercials that they had about cavemen? And they'd have those actors that looked like some of my relatives. <laughs> uh. And I think that sometimes those the poor cavemen they get a they get a bad rap, but are they really so much different than us? Really? Like cavemen did they want the same things we want other than wills? Are they that much different than us? I mean there's a few things obviously. But they say that the average caveman on a Saturday night would spend time writing on walls you know cave walls writing on people's walls and then go clubbing sounds like some of y'all's Saturday night <laughs> I heard this guy now, this is a sad story so coming off something funny then we're gonna jump right into something sad warning here I heard this guy talking about how they would always have their annual family reunion in this big state park, you know, under a little picnic pavilion, and everybody brings their food. And he said, for a few years, they had this guy, and they just called him Uncle Caveman. And he said, man, we didn't even really know his name. We just called him Uncle Caveman, and nobody seemed to know whose side of the family he was even from. And they were like, well, why would you call him Uncle Caveman? And he said, well, because he was big and hairy, super hairy. And he'd show up late every time we'd get the food set out. And this dude would show up and just start mowing the food and wouldn't talk to anybody. Or, and he'd leave. 
And so we called him Uncle Caveman because we figured he somehow knows when the reunion is every time until one day he ate one of my cousins and we found out he was a bear. (laughs) If you spend too much time in your cave, you will become more of an animal than a human. We all have caves. They're dark, damp. They smell bad. I just described the truck stop bathroom. (laughs) Not loves. (laughs) They're dark, damp. They smell bad. We all have caves. Places we go or we run to when we feel scared. Or when we feel trapped or depressed or overwhelmed, or exhausted, or disappointed. I have caves in my mind. And if you're in close relationship with me, you can tell when I go to my cave. I thought for a long time nobody could tell. But Jessie can. She calls me out on it. She'll say, what's up with you? Nothing. What are you talking about? You checked out. You checked out 20 minutes ago. What's going on? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> See, if you get in close enough relationship with people, connected to people, they can tell when you retreat to that cave. So I want to look at two guys that were going through some stuff. They really were. It's not that it was made up. They were going through some bad stuff, some hard times. And they went to a cave. And when I started, I felt like God dropped this idea on me, and we talked about about this stuff a little bit in warrior training, and, and I started looking up caves, and there's a ton of Bible stories about caves. And I kept thinking, yeah, this is it, as I would start reading one and studying one. So, like, first I was going to talk to you about in Joshua 10... When they were at war and five kings all went together and hid in a cave. Um, Go read the story. Go read Joshua 10. It's a pretty interesting story. Joshua just said, roll a stone over the cave door. And they did. They're trapped. And then they went on and finished the war and did what they needed to do and whatever. And these five kings are trapped inside a cave while all their men are dying. Then they come back and roll the stone away and take the five kings out and kill them. So I was going to preach to you about that, and, and I was like, yeah, this will be a good story I can use and, and tell you about how their place of hiding became their prison. And if you're going and hiding in your cave, it can become your prison that can lead to your death and spiritual death. And, but I'm not going to talk about that one. Um, so then I looked at the place where, remember when Saul went into a cave to go poop? Sorry to say that in church, but it's in the Bible, so I used poop. I guess it's a less offensive word, but he went in there to cover his ankles, as I think King James words it. Um, And David and all his men were hiding in the cave that he went in to go to the bathroom in. And all his men were like, "Ah, God delivered him to you. Now's your chance. All you got to do is kill him, and we can get out of this cave and get into the palace. Yeah, kill him. And David had too much integrity in the cave. 
And David honored Saul and didn't kill him and just went up, snuck up and cut off a piece of his robe without him knowing. And, and so I was going to use that story because I was like, yeah, that's a good story. There's a lot of good points in there, but no, I don't think that was the, the one I was supposed to use. So go look at that one too because that's a cool story. It's all good, but we are going to look at David, but it was in a different cave. It's in 1 Samuel 22. Um, and I'm just going to read you a little bit of this, but David was running. Saul was trying to kill him. Nothing was turning out like it was supposed to. David was anointed to be the king. The other king now hated him, who happened to be his father-in-law, who was chasing him, trying to kill him. He had gone to Samuel, the one that, that anointed him, God's voice to the nation at the time. He went to Samuel and told him pretty much goodbye. And we know from reading the Bible that was the last time he'd ever see him. He had to leave his wife. He had to leave his best friend Jonathan. And that would have been that's the last time he ever saw him alive. Like, you want to talk about loss? You want to talk about hurt? You want to talk about feeling abandoned, rejected, pain, mad at God, mad at leadership, mad at the government? David had it all. What did he do? David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. As soon as they heard that he was in the cave, they went to him. All his father's house and all his brothers showed up in the cave. Here comes everybody. Well, first of all, how'd they know he was in the cave? He had to tell them. He had told somebody. He didn't just hide in there because here all of a sudden his, his whole father's house shows up, his brothers and everybody. He had people that wouldn't leave him. And then we see in verse 2, that he stepped into purpose, even though he was in the cave. Look, read verse 2. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was, everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. He began to lead them, because that's what he was called to do. That was his purpose. He stepped into purpose, even though they were all in the cave. And there were with him about 400 men. Dang, that's a big cave. There are 400 men. And, and we know from reading the story, they had a bunch of them had wives and kids, and all his brothers were there, so his nieces and nephews. And they're like, there's a lot of people in this cave. It's a big cave. And, uh, Sounds like a great group, too, I might add. All the ones that were distressed and in debt and all, all of them, they all showed up. Everybody with problems. This is David's big ragtag group. They all had big problems. They were discontented. They were in distress. They were in debt. And David went, went thence to Mizpah of Moab and he said unto the king of Moab let my father and mother I pray thee come forth and be with you until I know what God will do for me 
trying to make sure his mom and dad were safe and didn't want he's probably sick of his mom complaining about the conditions of the cave and he brought them before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hole and the prophet Gad see back then the prophet would speak God's word so the prophet Gad, but this was God speaking, said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart, and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. So God said, it's time to get out of the cave. Hey, David, good work. You got this band of people and you started leading them. You started stepping into purpose. We know from David that he knows how to encourage himself. David wrote a psalm while in the cave, praising God, worshiping God, doing what he needed to do in the cave. And then God said, okay, it's time to come out of the cave. And we know that David ended up being the king of Israel, the most powerful king of Israel. So he went from the cave and he ended up in the palace. And all the distressed people and all the people that were in debt and all these people showed up and they became David's mighty men. They became some of the toughest, baddest boys in the Bible. I mean, you can go read about David's mighty men. He had his top three that were just incredible. There was one dude named Beniah that didn't even make the top three because he wasn't quite tough enough. So he had to be like the chief bodyguard because all he could do was uh, chase a lion into a pit and kill it with his bare hands. Little stuff like that. You know, he wasn't as bad as the other three. They became mighty warriors, assistants to the king. But they all had some major problems when they showed up in that cave. But they became David's mighty men. And from here on out, every other time in Scripture that I can find, we see some other times that David was in a cave, like that time that Saul came in. David had his men with him. He wasn't ever in the cave alone anymore. Even though the men gave him the wrong advice, they were with him. They were in the cave with him. Let's look at the next guy, Elijah. First Kings 19.5. Y'all remember Elijah. He was the prophet of God. He did all kind of miracles. He was the most powerful man alive on the planet. This dude prayed so hard that it stopped the rain for like three, three and a half years, it didn't even rain because he prayed. And when he said, okay, now it's going to rain, then it started pouring rain. He did all kinds of just crazy stuff. And then he challenged the prophets of Baal and he sat there and made fun of them. They all made sacrifices. And he's like, now call down fire from your gods. And then he sat there and made fun of them while they were praying to their gods. Oh, what, is your God asleep? What, can your God not hear you? What, he's not bringing down the fire? 
And then they dumped a bunch of barrels of water on his sacrifice and he called from God and fire came down and lit his sacrifice on fire showing that God was the real, true God. And then they killed all the prophets of Baal. All these powerful things happen and this crazy stuff happens. And then Jezebel, who was in charge and running the country and her husband was Ahab, the king, but really Jezebel was in charge. She sends him this threatening letter by a messenger saying, I swear that by tomorrow night, you'll be just like one of the prophets that you killed. Okay. I'm thinking this dude, he just called down fire from heaven. He just killed that Hundreds of your prophets killed. He prayed and stopped the rain. He's done all kinds of miracles and stuff. Okay, you're going to send me a threatening letter. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Nope. He goes into a depression. He wishes he was dead. He gets so discouraged and so down and it's bad. He gets in a bad way. We're going to start reading in verse 19.5. Oh, when he takes off and he's in his depression. Sorry, I forgot this one part. I'll let you know this is going to be important. When he's all upset and in his depression and running and Jezebel gets him in such a bad place and he gets so discouraged and so upset, he has one dude that's always with him. One good relationship, his servant, this guy that's always with him. You know what he does? He drops off the servant. You stay here. Thank you so much for your service. I'm done. And he goes off alone. Leaves him. And and he's like, take my life, God. I'm ready to die. Bring me to sleep with my ancestors. And in verse 5, he laid down and fell asleep under a a tree, a broom bush. Verse 5 says, suddenly an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head were a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and went back, went back to sleep. The angel of God came back and shook him awake again and said, Get up. Get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. Wake up. You didn't eat enough. Sound like Sky trying to get him ready for school. Get up. Eat your breakfast. No, wake back up, eat another bite. You're going to need energy for later. The angel's treating him like a kid. Wake back up, eat some more. You're going to need it. He got up and he ate and he drank his fill and he set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked for 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God to Horeb. That was a good meal. He walked for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he got there, He crawled into a cave and went to sleep. He was headed to the mountain of God. He was in a bad place. He was depressed. He was upset. He was thinking he was the only Christian left. He was the only one that feared God left. He was in, and he got to the mountain of God, and instead of speaking to God, he crawled in a cave. He crawled in a cave and went to sleep. And then the word of God came to him. So, Elijah, 
what are you doing here? God's asking him, what are you doing in the cave? What are you doing? Same question I asked you. What do you do in your cave? When you retreat, when you withdraw, what, what are you doing in there? God said, what are you doing in here? Well, I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies. Said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant and destroyed the places of worship. And they've murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He wasn't the only one left. Not even close. But you get yourself in a bad place and everything starts looking negative and you feel all alone. You got no connections. You got no relationship. There's no one else. It's just me. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that cares about me. No, you're not. You just cut off all your relationships. You even told your closest relationship, your servant, you left him back 40 days and 40 nights walk. It's only me. I'm the only one left. Then he was told, go stand on the mountain at attention before God. And God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God was not to be found in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle, quiet whisper. And when Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak and went to the mouth of the cave, and he stood there. A quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And Elijah said it again. I've been working my heart out for the God for God, the God of the angel armies, because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant and destroyed your places of worship and they've murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. You sound like a broken record, dude. Sometimes when God keeps asking you the same question over and over, He's trying to get you to think about not just keep repeating the same thing. He's trying to get you to see where you're at. He repeated the same thing. God said, go back the way you came through the desert. Go back to Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazil. Make him king over Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimeshi. Make him king over Israel. And finally, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abil-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. And anyone who escapes death by Hazil will be killed by Jehu. And anyone who escapes death by Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Meanwhile... I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the god Baal, the mouths that haven't kissed his image. So, so God gives him instructions, and his instructions are to go anoint these people, but we know that when he goes and anoints Elisha, Elisha becomes his new partner that follows him around until the day he's taken up to heaven. 
a new relationship, a new friend. Elisha would come alongside him and serve him and be in relationship with him, his, his new son in the faith, however you want to say it. But God said, go back, find this covenant relationship, go back to where you came from. Oh, and you're not the only one. I still got 7,000 more. You're not alone. You're not even close to being alone. Get out of the cave. Get out of that mindset. Go back and find Elisha. God said, get out of the cave. What are you doing here? Go get a relationship with Elisha. Remember in Genesis, when God looked at Adam after making all of creation, God looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Right? And so what God make? A human to be in relationship with him. Not a pet. God didn't make a bunch of stuff for him to have. God didn't make Adam a Facebook page so he could have a thousand friends. Now he's not alone. He made him a human to do life with. To be in real relationship with. It's not good for us to be alone. Hebrews 10, 25. It says, not forsaking or forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying... Forsake not the assembling. You've got to assemble yourself. It's on you. Only you can make the connection. Make the relationships. Be where you need to be. Plug in. Assemble. And then, what's he saying? So much the more as you see the day approaching. Or he's saying this will be more and more important as time goes on. It's going to be more and more important. As this goes on. So do it now. Assemble yourself. You will rise or fall to the level of the people that you're around. You just will. Who you surround yourself with. Who you're in close relationship with. I'm looking for a godly man. On Tinder? You can't go catch a marlin in a mud puddle. Better get back on track here. (laughs) We're better together. So how do I get out of the cave? How do I go from the cave to the palace like David did? In relationship. Relationship with people. That's how you get out of the cave. That's how you go from the cave to the palace is relationships. We're better together. I told you two weeks ago, I talked to you about camps. Remember how I can't do a camp on my own. I could, but it wouldn't be very good. I just have to like corral them all in here and feed them peanut butter sandwiches because I'd be running to the kitchen to try to make the sandwiches and nobody would be watching the kids and I couldn't do a chapel service because I wouldn't have time to prepare it because I, it just wouldn't be good. 
and we do really good camps, but it's because everyone does their part. And we're just better together. So I use that as an example. And now um, I saw another really cool example of that yesterday at the ball tournament. Really, it's been going on for the last few weeks as we've been planning and and. Nathan and me have been talking to people, getting teams in and planning and rules and Jesse making videos, drawing the names to keep things running smooth and just uh, Rebecca going shopping for the concession stand. And, and I've announced to you for several weeks that um, all the proceeds from the tournament that we were going to try to make it a really big tournament and make a bunch of money at the tournament and that all the proceeds were going to go to support Nadia's missions trip. So, like, if you don't know, if you don't know Nadia, shame on you because she's really cool. And she's got a lot of joy and light and hope, and she's super talented and just a cool person that I'm proud to know and, and be in relationship with and say, hey, she's part of us. Like, she's just cool, and she shines her light very well. So she's going on a missions trip, and she's going to get to show Jesus for nine months, right? Is it nine? Ten months. She's going to get to go represent Jesus to another part of the earth. And, like, we wanted to be a part of that because it's a really cool thing. And I'm proud of her, right? And I wanted to be a part of that, and it just wasn't in the church budget, just to be honest, the church doesn't just have like a bunch of money sitting in the bank account. Like we're okay. We make enough to keep the lights on and, and pay the bills and the salaries and stuff like that. But we don't have a bunch of money sitting there to, and we were like, man, we want to be a part. So we said all the proceeds from this tournament are going to go towards Nadia's missions trip. And everybody did their part. They did their part well. And, and some people showed up and played ball and paid their entry fees. And some people made phone calls. And some people, Nadia worked the concession stand all day. Um, and I, I don't want to start naming names because I'm going to leave people out. Because there's that many. I could almost go like, wrote like, so many people did their parts in the concession stand and in the announcer's booth. And, and some people just coming in here and being part of church and putting money in the offering, gave us the money to have the stuff on outside and just all, everybody did their part. And I just thought it was a really cool thing. Um, and we've got, we're just going to give Nadia the cash. I was going to hand it to her here during the service, but I don't have the envelope because Rebecca was bringing the rest of the uh, concession stand money. But after taking out the expenses, you know, what was spent on groceries for the concession stand and stuff like that. And just so y'all know, you know, we've done a lot of softball tournaments in the past, and we've never made this much on a softball tournament. Not even close. <laughs> Usually the concession stand barely breaks even. Yesterday it made over $400. Profit. And 396 of that was off of slushies. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Bruce Dill called me last night and told me that he spent between 35 and 41 dollar bills paying our kids to go find their softballs out of the woods then our kids took the one dollar bills and ran up the hill as fast as they could and bought slushies 
So I thanked Bruce last night and told him that because he said, I spent $40 on, uh, and I'm pretty sure that was mostly all your son and your nieces and nephews that I paid $41 bills to. And I said, well, they all ran straight up the hill and bought slushies, which went to Nadia's missions trip. So thank you. You not only made a bunch of kids happy, but it was another way you supported the missions trip. He said, well, great. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding about the slushies making all that much, but I think they did make a big part of it. I saw a lot of people with slushies. Um, so anyways, we all did a big cool thing together. And uh, after church, we get to give Nadia $1,771 to go towards her missions trip. That's pretty cool. Right, that's almost $2,000 that I would love to hand Nadia that chunk of money and say, hey, here, let me support you, but I don't have it to hand to her to support that. I'm pretty sure most of us don't just have that to say, hey, we could, if you do, go hand it to her and double it. If you do have it, I don't. Um, the church didn't. But together, we're better. Together, we're more effective. Together, we're more powerful. Together, we can do things and support things and, and we can see the world changed. We can see the light of the gospel, the joy that Nadia can go remind people to breathe. It's a cool thing. And we get to be a part. We get to be a part of that. How do I get out of the cave? How do I go from the cave to the palace? Relationships. Being connected. We can do things together that we can't do on our own. We are stronger and more effective together. You know when geese fly in a V formation? It takes 40% less energy than if one goose were flying on its own. Just flying in formation. 40% less energy. The math doesn't make sense. Remember that scripture that says one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight? That makes no sense. It seems like it should be one can put a thousand, two can put 2,000. No, but God wants us to know that the power of relationship and the power of connection and we're created to be community beings and when we connect with each other, we can do more than we could ever do on our own. In fact, we can do more than double what we could do on our own when, when we connect. Psalm 73, David was upset and depressed and in one of his bad moods and one of his bad moments. And in verse 17, he says, Then I went to the sanctuary came into God's house, came and got connected. And then the next part of the psalm is like his perspective changed. He remembered who God was. He remembered that God was more powerful than his enemies. He pulled out of the bad place he was mentally. He pulled out of that bad place in his mind. How? He, he went to the sanctuary. He connected. Then his perspective changed. So when you go to the cave, 
Do you remember? Or do you forget? See, David, when he was in the cave, he remembered God. He remembered the promises. He, he remembered that he was called to lead. So he started leading. He remembered his purpose. He remembered how good and how big God was. He remembered. When Elijah went into the cave alone with no relationships, he forgot. He forgot how big God was. He thought he was the only one. The only one left. God he forgot he forgot how big God was when you're in the cave do you remember or do you forget relationships are taking you somewhere I like to say relationships it's like a ship you're in a relationship with somebody it's taking you somewhere good or bad you're going somewhere Your relationships are taking you somewhere. And it doesn't matter what you were, where you were, or what they were. You know, when they came to the cave, a bunch of them were some pretty messed up dudes, it sounds like. But they got in relationship. They began to march in step. And they became mighty men. What are you becoming? People need people. Oh, but dusty people hurt you. Yeah. David was hurt by people. I never really thought about the fact that his wife stayed at the palace. She was Saul's daughter. She stayed in the palace. And he left and went to the caves. Or his father-in-law trying to kill him. It wasn't just one time he tried to kill him, or two times, or three times, or four times, or five times. He tried to kill him six times before David ran away. Throwing spears at him and stuff, and David didn't pick the spear up and throw it back. People hurt you. Yeah, David was hurt, I'm sure. You can come in here on a Sunday and... I can preach a message that will inspire you, that will appeal to your soul, that will light a fire on the inside of you and get you excited about doing something and making a change in the earth or helping humanity or giving of your time, your talents, your treasures. I, I can preach a message that will light a fire inside of you. And then that message will go out or the fire will go out. Within a day or a few days. or And by next week, you desperately need to get into church so that I can try and light another fire. Because your fire went out. Relationships are the wood that will keep the fire going. That's why we encourage small groups and Bible studies and warrior training and Play ball with each other and come on Wednesday night and talk to each other because relationships are what's going to keep that fire burning so that it doesn't go out and it doesn't have to keep getting relit. It's not just inspiration, but we keep the fire burning. I started looking when I was studying for this message, I started looking through the Bible at everywhere it says um, one another or each other. 
And that was a joke because it was like way too many. So I said, I'll narrow it down to the New Testament. I'll just look at the ones in the New Testament. And after I got over 85, I stopped. Because I didn't even have time to look them all up. And how many times I call the one another's just in the New Testament. So rather than turn into a bunch of scriptures, I just jotted down in the New Testament, we are commanded to have peace with one another, be kind to one another, receive one another, love one another, greet one another, wait on one another, serve one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Forgive one another. Care for one another. Do not lie to one another. Comfort one another. Exhort one another. Have compassion on one another. Submit to one another. Fellowship one another. We could go on and on and on and on and on. But the point is that we should do life with each other. In community. We should play ball. We should break bread. We should laugh with each other we should cry with each other we should we should dance with each other we should sing with each other we should run with each other or watch Benny run that's way funner we should do life with each other James 5:16 and I'm done this is one of the beautiful pages that fell out of my message Bible, so I'm going to have to read it on the screen. Make this your common practice. Make it your common practice. Do it often. Confess your sins to God. No, to each other. And pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. So that you can live together whole and healed. Confess your sins to one another. Now, that's not coming up to somebody and saying, oh, I'm a sinner, I've done this and that, and here's all the wrong things I've done. What he means by confess your sins to one another is be in relationship with each other so I can say, hey, Nathan, I'm struggling with something. This is what I got going on. And we're in relationship, so now I need you to hold me accountable. Why? So I can walk free of that. Pray for each other. Be in each other's lives so that you can live together whole and healed. Together we heal. You want to find healing? You better get connected. You better come out of that cave. Come out of the cave because together we heal. Relationships are like trees. You can plant a tree and as that thing grows, it becomes way more useful. You know, Bo and Amanda planted these, you know, like those evergreen kind of trees by their house. How long ago? Probably like 10 years or something. A while ago. It's been a long time. And when they planted those, me and Jesse said, yeah, we need to plant some of those in our yard. Because we've got something right next door to us that we would really like to... Uh, have a barrier between, <laughs> right? And so we are like, hey, we should plant some trees. And a year went by and we didn't. And Bo and Amanda's trees got bigger. 
And then every time we would go up to Bo and Amanda's house, we'd say, oh, yeah, that reminds me. We need to plant some of those trees. Look how big their trees are getting. Three or four years went by, and their trees got nice and big, big enough to where they would have served the purpose that we wanted served in our yard. Like, wow, man, they would have made a whole entire privacy fence by now if we would have planted them back when Bo and Amanda planted theirs but we didn't get to reap the benefit because we didn't do the work to plant the trees. And then here about, what, two years ago, we planted two little small ones that were in pots. Yesterday I was out there looking at them. Those things are over seven feet tall. They're up well over my head in a couple years. What if we would have planted them back when we first had the idea could be very beneficial useful it would help Jesse's happiness we know that happiness is based on circumstances we learned that so it could help the happiness because <laughs> you couldn't see certain things oh yeah there's a saying that says it's the question is when is the best time to plant a tree and the saying is 20 years ago but if you didn't do it 20 years ago, then the best time is now. The best time is today. I'm telling you, relationships are like trees. And when you've, you've worked on those things and you've done the hard thing and you've been in relationship, and as the years go on, they become more useful. They, and when you hit a hard time and you need it, they're there. I spent some time this week talking to somebody that's going through a really hard time in life right now. Life's kind of just hit them upside the head and they have a family member that's about to die and, and uh, just a lot, a lot going on. And this person's asking me, reaching out to me, asking me, how do you make it through? How do you make it through a hard time? How do you not fall into addiction how do you not run into your cave and I told him I've been through some hard things and I don't know how without a relationship with God or without relationship with people I would make it through those things and this person hasn't planted the trees of relationship they don't have a, a relationship with God they don't have a relationship with people, they don't go to a church, they don't have a pastor. That's why when this hard thing happened, they're searching for somebody to even just to talk to them. They're reaching out to me, and we're not in relationship. I don't even, I hardly know anything about them. We were created to be in relationship. I told you two weeks ago about Abishai, David's nephew. And when one of Goliath's relatives showed up, the Bible tells us he would have killed David because David was old and David couldn't handle it. And Abishai, David's nephew, stepped up and killed that giant. Took him down and killed him. Killed the giant that David couldn't. See, at first David trusted God. And David killed Goliath with a sling and a rock, but the second time it didn't work. It took relationship to kill the giant. Otherwise, the Bible tells us that giant would have killed David. But his nephew stepped up. 
Remember when David's father and mother and all of his family and his household, they showed up in that cave? Abishai would have been a little kid then. But because his parents chose to go to the cave, to be in relationship even when it was hard, one day when a giant showed up that David couldn't handle, Abishai handled it. You know, one day I'm going to face giants that I can't kill. I know that's a shock to most of you. <laughs> I'm going to face some giants that I can't kill. And maybe because Levi's made a decision to come into my cave and be in relationship, maybe Rome, my nephew will step up and kill the giant that I can't kill. Maybe Miles will take out some giants that I can't kill. Why? Relationship. Is everybody in the cave perfect? No, none of us. <laughs> Man, we're in debt and distressed and got issues and problems, and that's okay. relationships worth it we're better together than we could ever be apart so what are you doing in the cave it's time to come out of the cave we got a lot to do let's pray God thank you thanks for speaking to us thank you for calling us to a higher level. God, it's easy for us to retreat to the cave mentally, physically, spiritually to just run away because we're hurt or we're scared or we've been wronged or, or we've got a sin problem or we feel shunned or embarrassed. or We all come up with reasons to run to the cave. But God, I want to get bitter. I want to get better, not bitter. I want to get stronger, not weaker. I want to steward my time in the cave well. To hear your voice. To encourage myself and to step into purpose. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Thank you for letting us be a part of something way bigger than us. In Jesus' name, amen.